Today we're talking about a sensitive subject. I can hardly wait. You know. Now, this is going to be kind of an outgrowth. You know, I, I thought that you know we were going through our series, Necessary Sins. You know, we talked about lying and anger and, and all that stuff. That you know, sometimes we think that God gets kind of a wink and a nod at, but we've come to a, a situation here where we're talking about sex. And I think a lot of times God think, we think that God just gives a wink and a nod to that because, after all, our culture says it's perfectly fine. Well, I recently, my mom, my mom is 94 years old. Yeah, she broke her leg recently. And so she's, she's kind of laid up a little bit, uh, a lot. Uh, but uh, when she was in her 80s, I think she was 84, uh, maybe 83, she decided my dad had died. And so she decided that she was going to date and so she didn't have any prospects because nobody her age was around. And, uh, and so she decided she's going to get online. She's going to date online. And she met a guy, and she invited him to our house. Unbeknownst to me, she came from Missouri to our house for Christmas and said, oh, by the way, I need to go to the airport tomorrow to meet this guy. My mom's in her mid-80s. She's going to the airport to meet a guy. I said, well, who is he? She said, oh, his name's David. He lives in Washington. And uh, we've been talking on, online. Actually, she said, on the computer. And, uh, and so I said, really? Uh, have you met him before? No, we haven't seen each other. It's going to be so exciting. <laughs> he could be an axe murderer, Mom. Come on. You know? And she said, oh, no, his profile, he just seems, oh, he's this and this and this. And so I thought I would start this morning by telling you a little bit about the code of these online profiles, Okay. Now, a guy will say he's 40-ish. Now, let's start with women. You women, you know, start with women. Uh, a woman will say she's 40-ish. What does that mean? She's 48. She's 48. It means she's 48. A guy says he's 40-ish. What does that mean? He's 52. And not only is he 52, but he's looking for a young lady that's 25. Okay, yeah, so you have to know the code. You have to know the code. A guy says he's emotionally stable. That ought to be a red flag right off the bat, okay? <laughs> I'm emotionally stable. Usually what it means is he hasn't had a restraining order in the last 90 days. So be careful, be careful. Um, oh, guys, if a woman on her profile, you know, and the things that she's looking for, she ever says, I'm a great conversationalist and I love talking, what she really means is she never shuts up. Okay. She will talk and talk and talk and talk. And a lot of you guys are nodding right now. And a lot of you ladies are giving me glaring looks. Those of you who are giving me glaring looks are probably the ladies. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> it's going to get deeper here in a minute. Okay. Now, if you ever had a guy say he's huggable, you know, he writes in his program, I'm huggable, usually means he's about 40 pounds overweight. You know, it's kind of that teddy bear looking thing, you know, and, uh, and usually he's a grizzly bear. But, you know, uh, it gets different that way. Woman who says she's romantic. Every guy perks up. What it really means is she looks better under candlelight. <laughs> now that I have your full attention, we're going to be studying for the next couple of weeks the, the book of the Bible called the song. It used to be called the Song of Solomon. Now it's called the Song of Songs. And we're just going to march through it. And it's about two young people that fall in love. 
And you'll read it and you say, you scratch your head most of the time when you read through this book. And I encourage you to do that this next week. Just kind of read through a couple of chapters uh, because a couple of chapters is about all you'll get because you're going to be scratching your head so much. Uh, the way he describes her and the way she describes him, you just go, whoa, I could never get away with that. And we'll run across a couple of those things here this morning. But before we get started, I want to read uh, the very second verse, the first verse of Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Is, and, and that's what I need to tell you. It used to be Song of Solomon. Now it's called Song of Songs for some reason. I don't know. Probably because there's some question about whether Solomon actually wrote it or not. But let me say this. Guys, if you're married, you want your wife to memorize chapter 1, verse 2 in about five different versions. Okay? That's, that's their assignment. Here's what it says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, if you're married... You want your wife to memorize that. For your love is more delightful than wine. I'd rather have you know, my relationship with you than I would rather go to a party, is what, he's, what she's saying. And so let's take a look and let's dive down deep into the first chapter. In fact, we'll get in a little bit into the second chapter this morning about the Song of Solomon. Now, what was it that brought these two people together? Okay, there were several things that if you read through the Song of Solomon, you're going to recognize real quickly. The first one is that they recognized godly character. They recognized godly character in each other. Now, notice what it says in verse number three. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. That's what the lady says to the guy. Now, I don't know. You got to wonder. But you also have to understand the culture of the time. The culture of the time was that they lived in tents in the desert. How hot does it get in the desert? How much water is there in the desert? How often did they bathe? Not often. Not often. So you can imagine the romantic atmosphere that is set here with this guy. His stench. Okay. But you know what they did? What they did was they had this oil that they purified. They had this oil that was purified. And what they would do is rub it all over their bodies so that they would smell good. Yeah? Makes sense, huh? It was kind of like we, you know, when we have, have you ever done like a real spit bath, you know? You just kind of, you wash your pits and put new deodorant on, you know? It was kind of like that. It's kind of like that. But they would rub this oil all over them and they would smell good. Oh, you guys that are laughing and hiding your faces right now know exactly what I'm talking about. You've all done it. You have all done it. Okay, yeah. And so they would rub this perfume over them. And notice what she says here. No wonder the young women love you. Why? Because your name. I want you to circle that, that word, name, there. Now, because when people were named back in the day, it had to do with their character. Okay, their parents would name them, you know, when they were born, and it was with a desire of producing a certain character in them, you know, and they would, they would name them something. And notice what she says, your name is like perfume poured out. The stench that was once there now smells good. Okay, so you had this potential to be a real vile person, a real stinky character, but now you are not. And I recognize in your character a high level of character, not this stinky, rotten character that could be. Now, the writer of Proverbs in 12, verse 4, probably King David, he says this. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Isn't that kind of cool? 
You know, a wife that has noble character, that is a stand-up lady, but she doesn't cross certain lines. She has noble character. Man, the husband wears that like a crown on his head and says, man, she makes me a king. She makes me a king because of her noble character. It's not one that's ostentatious. It doesn't jump out there. It doesn't, you know, command attention. But in the quietness of her spirit, people recognize in her that she's got this quality that says, I have something outside myself that determines who I am. And that's what noble character is all about. It's not the selfish thing that says, I get what I want and I always do that. But I have this noble character. So they recognized in each other this godly character that said, there's something in front of what I want myself. Now, a lot of times when we think about the New Testament, there's this, this, this theme that runs through it, and it's about sin nature. How do we get so messed up? Well, we get messed up because when we're born, we're selfish. Anybody here you know, want to share a story about that? Yeah. Got you to raise your hands before I told you what I was going to do. Huh? <laughs> so now I'll just call on you and you share your story. Now we, get, we are selfish. You know, how many of you, while waiting in a fast food line, look at your watch and say, this is not fast food? You know, yeah, we get kind of selfish. You know, it's all about us. It's about our time thing. It's about, you know, about me. But we're born that way. And so we put ourselves ahead of everything else. A little baby, okay, a little baby. And, and if you're a dad here, you know, how many of you dads like to change diapers? You know, ever liked it? You do? Oh, man, awesome, Mike. Yeah, you're my hero. You know, for me, when I look at the Huggies package and it says, you know, it has the, the, the size, it says 8 to 10 pounds, I think that's its capacity. You know, you don't change it until it gets full. You know, but, but, you know, you guys that are dads, real dads, you know, you, you do that stuff. Way to go, I'm proud of you. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, be careful what you learn from me. Uh, but, but sometimes we get selfish in what we do. You know, we don't want to do that stuff. That changing diapers, ew, that's not my job, I don't, you know. I changed my kids' diapers, so don't start throwing stuff at me yet. There'll be plenty of opportunity for that. But when we have this character, this godly character that says, I want what God wants before I want what I want. That's what godly character is really all about. And so they had that. They had godly character. Now, notice in number two, in in verse numbers five and six, uh, they built godly trust. Okay, the second thing that they had was they built godly trust. Now, have you ever met a girl and when you first meet her, you know, she's different than after you get to know her? You know, a guy, you meet a guy and he's different when you first meet him than after you get to know him. I remember this one time, I, I, was, I, was, I was single and, and surprisingly, I can remember that far back, uh, but I, I, I drove a Corvette and I went, I, I, in my work, I had met this girl and she was just, Drop dead gorgeous. I said, I have to date her. And so I did. I invited her uh, to go out on a date. And we were going to go to the L.A. County Fair. It's when I lived in Southern California. We're going to go to the L.A. County Fair. And so I went over to her parents' house, and I parked in front of her house. And she had this garage that kind of blocked the view to the door. So I went up to the door, knocked on the door. She came out, and uh, she's all ready to go. And we come, and we walked around the corner of her garage, and we're walking toward my car. And she goes, oh, you own a Corvette? I wanted to say, well, me in the bank, but, you know, but I said, uh, immediately, all of her beauty faded. And I thought, oh, no, she is one of these shallow mallows, you know. And uh, and I thought real quickly, because sometimes I can think pretty quick on my feet. So I said, oh, man, I just rented it for tonight so that I could impress you. 
She goes, oh, man, that's so cool. And as the night went on, she became less and less attractive, you know, by the things that came out of her mouth. And finally, you know, she gets, it got to be all the way at 9.30 at night, you know. And I looked at my watch and I said, hey, you don't mind if we wrap this up a little early because I got to get the car back. She goes, oh, oh, that'd be okay. So I dropped her off, never called her again, okay. You know, because sometimes, you know, when you don't have godly character uh, and, and when women reveal their insecurities, sometimes it just doesn't click, does it? Some, and men are the same way. Men, when they, when we, we, we usually have the opposite problem. Instead of revealing our insecurities, we have this big macho thing that we throw out there and we think that women love that and they really hate it. So we have this whole idea of building godly trust. Notice what happens here with this young lady. In Song of, Solomon, or Song of Songs 1, verses 5 and 6, she says, Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of, of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Now, what's she saying? Now, every woman in here probably has gone through a period of time where they've questioned, you know, they've questioned, you know, their, their own skin. You know, do I really, you know, I, I, you can tell a woman that they're beautiful and they go, yeah, but, you know, and if they don't say it, they're really thinking it. Yeah, but I wish that this was different, that was different. And that's what this lady is. She's revealing to her soon-to-be husband the insecurities that she has. Now, what's the problem that she has? She is darkened by the sun, okay? She's darkened by the sun. And in those days, what was the quality that really revealed that you were a high-class woman on the rise? Pale skin, yeah, pale skin. Now, notice how she compares her skin. She says, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Now, they, they, remember, they're, they're people that live in the desert, and they live in tents. And so they would have black tents. Why would they have black tents? Oh, because at night, it gets really cold in the desert. And so they would use the black tents to absorb the heat of the day, and then at night, they would be warmer. And she says, I'm dark like that, and I, you know, I'm, I'm unattractive. And she even says, uh, don't, don't look at me, you know. Do not stare at me because I am dark. They're building godly trust. Now, he's going to come back, and he's going to tell her how beautiful she is, and he's going to start building on that trust and start building on her insecurities and reinforcing the fact that, no, you're really a beautiful woman. You really have it together. You have godly character, and I look for what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. And so your beauty emanates from within. Now, women who count on their beauty to carry them, I just have some bad news for you. You know, and I'm just going to say it in the terms of an age, 60. You know, by the time you're 60, you're not like you were when you were 20. You know, you're more beautiful. But you're beautiful from the inside, inside. And, I'll be, you know, you look at me and you say, well, gee, you got better looking, you know. <laughs> Probably you didn't say that. But for us to reveal our insecurities to each other reveals that we have this this sense of trust, and it's a godly trust. I'm going to trust you with the intimate secrets of my life, my insecurities, my fears, the stuff that I don't want people to know, because I fear that if you know them, you won't like me, you won't love me anymore. But I'm going to trust you because I know that you have this godly character that doesn't just look at the outward appearance. You look at what's on the inside as well. Okay. Now, 
The third thing that they did was that they practiced godly standards. They practiced godly standards. Now notice, she's talking in verse number 7, and she says, she says this to him. Tell me, you whom I love, where you, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Now, if you just hear those words, what you might think is she's trying to rendezvous with the guy, right? Let me know where you are during the day, because I'd like to sneak out and be with you. No, notice what she says. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your young friends? Now, you got to know what veiled women are. Those were the women that would go out where the guys are, are, have their herds and their flocks and they're getting them, grazing them out on the land, out on the, you know, in the grassy areas of the desert. And uh, they're trying to get them fed. And so young women with veils on their faces would go out there and offer themselves to these shepherds to be used sexually. And she says, I want to know where you are so that I not can meet up with you, but so that I can avoid the very appearance of being like those women. I don't want to be like that. And so she's raising her standard. And I'm going to say this. If you want something different, you have to do something different. If you want what everybody else has, just do what everybody else does. But if you want something different, if you want to have a marriage, if you want to have a future, you want to have a relationship uh, quite unlike anybody else's, then you have to do some things that are different than what everybody else does. And that's what she did. She said, I'm going to do what's different. I'm going to avoid where you are so that we don't fall to that temptation and so that we don't yield ourselves to each other in an ungodly way. So therefore, I want you to make a list of things that you will not do. Okay. Number one, I want you to make a commitment. If you're single, if you're, you know, and we have a lot of single people here today. If you're single, I want you never to sacrifice your relationship with God. Never sacrifice your relationship with God. And, and you probably say, well, you know, I could do both. You know, I could have this relationship, this sexual relationship with a woman, and I could have a good relationship with God, you know, because after all, I could just say, oh, God, forgive me. And he will forgive me, Right. Well, I want you to jot down a passage of Scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Read through that whole chapter there. Start about verse 3 or so. And what he'll talk about is that people who engage in sexual immorality, are they have an idol in their life. And that idol has supplanted what God wants. And so therefore you want this relationship more than you want God. And so that's what qualifies it as an idol. And so he says, you'd rather have that? You know, I'm not going to force you to come to me. But I am going to tell you that if you have something that's more important than me, that's an idol. And it goes on to say that your future with God is in jeopardy. Okay? Your salvation is in jeopardy. And so he says, be really careful about that. So never sacrifice your relationship with God. Never compromise God's standards. Never compromise God's standards. Okay? That's the second thing that I want you to commit to. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's really the commitment you make when you come to know him. And so never compromise God's standards. And what are God's standards? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in in the book of Philippians, he says that don't be unequally yoked with someone who doesn't believe. Okay? Don't don't let because what's going to happen is that you're going to get you're going to get married, you're going to have children, you're going to make decisions down the road where one person thinks this is more valuable than this. Okay? God's standards, you know, the, the believer will say, God's standards are more valuable than, you know, what the world says, or what Dr. Spock says, or whatever anybody says, you know. Yeah, I just dated myself there, huh? Uh, but, but it's more important than what doctors would say. 
Okay, God's standards are more important. And so there's going to be this conflict at some point. What are we going to do with our kids? You know, how are we going to raise them? What values are we going to impart to them? And so that's why God says, I want both of them, uh, the husband and the wife, to be believers, followers of me, because then you will have a common set of values, because they're not derived from what you want or what your spouse wants. It's derived from the word of God, which is the truth, if you believe in the word of God, it, and it says that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, the, uh, nobody comes to me um, through, whatever he says. Okay, thank you. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's what my wife would say. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Okay, so therefore, there's that thing of, of being unequally yoked. And the third thing is, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, don't play house. Don't pretend like you have something that you do not have. Okay? When people move in together and do that kind of stuff, what they're really saying is, you know, we're, we're a family unit. We're committed to each other. And da, da, da. Well, if you're committed to each other, get married. That's, that's the test of commitment. You know, that's the test of commitment. And even, even at that, I want you always, always, always to put God first. Now, what's the result of all of that? Okay? What's the result of all of that stuff? Oh, wait a minute. I got way ahead of that. Let's go back to number four. Back to number four. The next thing that happens, because they kept God's standards and because they, they did things right, then number four, they grew with godly encouragement. They grew with godly encouragement. Okay, Isn't that cool? Remember, she has revealed her innermost secrets. Oh, don't look at my skin. It's dark. You know, I'm kind of scared. You know, I'm vulnerable. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little insecure about that. But notice what happens down the road. Here's the guy talking to her in verse number nine. The guy says... I liken you, my darling, to a mare. You know what a mare is? It's a horse. Yeah. Guys, I want you to try that tonight. You know? And, and email me. Let me know how that works out for you. You know? But, but, and you look at, that's why you have to know a little bit about the, the book here that, that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it is better than a cow, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's stronger, you know, maybe sleeker. Yeah, okay. So th- now we have that solved. Yeah, it could be, it could, ladies, it could be worse. But here's really what, what he's saying. And, and we have to finish the verse there. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now, Pharaoh was recognized as a god. And his horses were godlike. Okay, they were godlike. And so what he's saying here is, man, I see in you the best representation of God that I can lay my eyes on. Okay? In the physical sense. You are a representation of who God is. And so now she, she hears that and she thinks in her mind, oh yeah, but I have dark skin, you know. Oh, but he says this. Oh, And the more she hears that positive feedback, what does she start believing? She starts believing the positive. She starts believing in how she affects him. And so pretty soon she starts feeling pretty good about herself. Notice in verses 12 and 13. Well, the king was at his, and this is the lady, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Everybody here, say it with me. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. You know? And what is she saying? Here's what she's saying. While the king was at his you took me places and showed me to the royalty of the world, and you were proud of me. And you know what that makes me feel like? It makes me feel like you are so close to me that I want to wear you in a very intimate part of my body. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but that's how she now feels. Notice how, she, how far this encouragement has taken her. Okay, she was, she was, oh, don't look at me, I'm too dark. Now all of a sudden she says, man, you've displayed me before the king. And that makes me feel extremely proud, extremely loved, extremely secure. And that's what we're going to find out. How does that really affect her? How has this change of perspective changed the way she feels? Well, let's take a look. Here's the result. The result is that she feels special. She feels special. She says this in chapter 2, verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now notice what she says here. That rose is what? It's a singular. She doesn't say, man, I feel like the roses of Sharon, you know, that big thing. She says, I feel like I'm one of a kind. I'm the singular focus of your attention. And it makes me feel really special. There is no one else. There is no other thing. Now, for most of us guys, you know, especially when we were young, when I was young, there was all this other distraction and stuff. You know, there's this thing called athletic leagues. You know, you can play softball, you can do all kinds of stuff, you know, and man, you like to play two or three nights a week and da-da-da. And what we're really saying to our women is, I'd rather play softball with the guys than be with you. She didn't feel that way. She didn't feel that way. She says, I am a singular rose of The focus of your attention, I am the singular thing that you have that you love. I'm the only one. I'm the only thing. And, and therefore, uh, a lily of the valleys. I am something beautiful and in your attention. And when you have chances to go off and do other things, you would rather choose to be with me. I, did, I used to do a lot of premarital counseling and stuff for people that were getting married. And uh, I remember this one guy, uh, he wanted to go out with his buddies one more time before he got married. You know, we call it a bachelor party. And he asked his girlfriend right there in front of me, he says, is that okay with you? And she hesitated. You know, you can always tell what people really think by the hesitation. If they don't immediately respond, you better ask again and clarify, okay? But she hesitated and she says, Oh, yeah, that'd be fine. And the way she said it, I, you know, I've been around a long time. You know, I knew she's not saying what she means. And so they, they went and he did, you know, and they came back a week later for their second session. I said, hey, how'd it go? And he says, she won't talk to me. I go, well, what happened? Well, I went out with my buddies and, and I came back and, you know, the next day and she said she, she was mad. She was mad because I went, but she told me I could. I said, ah, you've learned a very valuable lesson, my young Padawan. (laughs) You've learned a valuable lesson. Women don't always say what they mean. And I said said to the lady, I said, tell him what you really meant. She says, well, what I really meant was, I didn't want you to go, but I didn't want to tell you no. I wanted you to decide on your own not to go, that you would rather be with me. I just stuck my chest out and said, I knew that. He didn't, though. He did not know that. And so, therefore, when did she feel special? No, she felt average. She felt highly average. And, and once again, I'm going to say it. If you want something different, you have to do something different. 
If you want something different, you have to do something different. This lady here in the Song of Songs, she felt special. Why? Because she was the focal point of his attention. He didn't have to go play softball two or three nights a week. He didn't have to go out with his buddies and and do whatever buddies do. Uh, But he stayed with her. Notice in verse number four, chapter two. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. In In other words, let him take me out to dinner. And let everybody in the restaurant know, this dude loves me. There may be other beautiful women in the room, but I don't care because I know this guy loves me. He's not looking around saying, oh, wow, mm, ah, you know. I remember my brother-in-law one time, uh, he took my sister to the beach. And uh, my sister thought he was taking pictures of her. But in the background was this really beautiful girl. (laughs) I'm just saying. They're still married, but I love to bring that up every now and then. Okay. So you got to do things, guys. You got to do things that make your wife know that she is the center of your existence. She is the, only, the one and only, the Rose of Sharon. Okay, so it makes her feel special. Second thing it does is it makes her feel secure. Did you know that the number one need of 80% of women in the world is security? Women need security. Why, why do women get freaked out about money? Because they need security. Why do they get freaked out if, you're not, if you don't have a job? They need security. Okay? Now, in the absence of you providing security, you know what they'll do? They'll go get their own security. They'll go get their own security. Because women are very, uh, they're very resourceful. They'll go out and they'll go get their own security. And pretty soon, you know, what you're going to find is that they're getting security not only financially by working out on their own, but they're also getting security by the people that they run around with. Your wife, if you're married, your wife will find someone who admires her and they will speak positive things into her life. And you know what's going to happen? She's going to like that. She's going to like that. While you're out playing softball with your buddies three nights a week, there's going to be some guy texting her saying, hey, you know, I was just thinking about you and I wanted you to know that, you know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. Dun, 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 dun. You know, that's the beginning of the end, guys. Beginning of the end. So make sure, make sure that she is secure. Notice how this young lady describes her security. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. Now she pays him a huge compliment here and says, you're like an apple tree, dude. You know, oh man. And you go, oh man, I was really kind of hoping to be an orange tree, you know. And some of you guys are like lemon trees, you know, and that's a little caustic as well. Uh, but but this, she says, you're like an apple tree Amongst the trees of the forest is my beloved. Among the young men. She said, when I compare you to the other guys, you are apples above all these other guys. You are an apple tree. Now, what's so important about an apple tree? Well, notice what she says. She says, I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. The way he relates to me, the things that he does for me, are sweet to the taste. Boy, I feel good. I feel special. I feel secure. Because what is she worried about? The color of her skin. And why was the color of her skin so dark? Well, because she was out in the sun. But now she gets to sit in the shade of a tree. And he provides that for her. Because he has already said, in essence, I don't care about the color of your skin. You're beautiful to me. I want to be your one and only. You're awesome. And so she goes, oh, man, that's like sitting in the shade. I don't have to worry about my insecurities anymore because now I am secure. It's not about how I look. It's about who I am. And so, therefore, she feels secure. Let's wind this thing up. Man, men, 
What's a man's role in her security? Okay, there's three things I want, to, I want you to be aware of. Number one, you are your wife's pastor. <laughs> Some of you say, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I don't know that much about the Bible, and I can't preach sermons, and I can't do this. Well, guess what? You don't have to do that stuff. But what you need to do is to lead her in the ways of God. Lead her in the ways of God. Now, I'm not going to say push her in the ways of God, because that's from behind. You know, and it's easy for us to push people where we want them to go. You know why we do that? We push people where we want them to go? Because we don't want to go there. <laughs> you know? So, here, you go over there. You go there. You know, and I want to encourage you, go to church. Do all this, you know, but you go there. Uh, but I want you guys to know that you are her pastor. You are to lead her to the things of God. You are to proclaim the things of God, lead her to the things of God, and hold her accountable to the things of God. That's what a guy does that loves his wife and wants her to be everything that God created her to be. Because, ladies, God created you to be real special. God created you to be awesome in his sight. And so, guys, we want that same thing, and we need to encourage them. Now, we need to know some things about the Word of God, don't we? So that we can encourage them to do the things of the Word of God. Okay, remember, don't sacrifice godly standards. Don't sacrifice your personal relationship with God. So, guys, what would we, would we do? We would encourage our wives to spend some time with God every day. Just read his word a little bit. You know, spend about 15 minutes reading the word of God, finding out what it says. Now, what should I do? When it says, don't do this, okay, I don't do that. When it says, do this, I'm going to do it. And so, therefore, it's really pretty easy. We can get bogged down in the stuff we don't understand about the word of God. Don't go there, okay? Just find out the things that you know and do the things that you know. Lead your wife in the things that you know. Number two, you are her provider. Okay? Not only are you her provider financially, and I would encourage every guy to be the primary money man, okay? Money provider, okay? Now, there are some situations in which a wife will make more money than the guy. You know what that does? It makes her secure in herself. Eventually, it will make her secure in herself. And when the guy doesn't provide, and, and I'm going to say two things here, provide financially and provide emotionally, and I'll say three things. Provide spiritually. Okay? I might say four. No. Three things. Provide financially, provide emotionally, and provide spiritually. When he no longer provides those things and she has financial resources, there comes a point in time in 50% of marriages in the United States, 50% of marriages where she says, I don't need you. You don't provide financially. You don't provide emotionally. You don't provide spiritually. You're kind of a drain on the system. And so therefore, I don't really need you. Now, you can tell young people that all day long. And they go, eh. But you guys that are in the mid-40s and, and so, here all going. Some of you have lived it. Some of you have lived that exact scenario. So I want to warn you ahead of time. Be a provider. Be a provider financially, spiritually, and emotionally. Do those things. Because after all, you're her pastor. Number three, you're her protector. You are to protect her at all costs. Okay, and we think, you know, gee, there's bad things that could happen to women out on the street and stuff, and I need to protect her. You know, one of the things I always do with Cindy is I always walk on the traffic side of the sidewalk. You know, because I am so tough that if a car jumped the curb, I could stop it before it hit her. 
know, my dad taught me that. He says, hey, always walk on the outside because if something happens, you'll get hit first. And I go, okay, well, that's what I do. But, uh, but I, when I think about the practicality of it, <laughs> you know, well, I guess I could stop a car, you know, really. But uh, no, I can't. Uh, but but it's, what is it saying? It's saying, I love you enough, I would take the bullet first. You know, the guys that are, uh, protect the president, you know, the Secret Service guys, what do, they, what do they make a commitment to do? I'll take a bullet for him. I will take a bullet. I'll jump in front. And so, therefore, guys, we need to protect our wives physically. We also need to protect them spiritually. We need to protect them emotionally. But we also need to protect them from their own children. Have you ever thought of that? You know, I see situations, I, I don't live this, but I know in situations where the kids are so disrespectful to their mom and dad just sits by passively. You know, remember the gar- Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve? And Eve takes the apple, she eats the apple, you know, and, and you always wonder, what's up with that, you know? And then, then, you know, eventually Adam blames her, she blames the serpent and all the there. Uh, but Adam was standing right there beside her when she's doing this. And what he should have done is protected her. Don't do it, honey. No, do not do it. God has said, don't do it. And for us, that's good enough. If God says, don't do it, don't do it. That's good enough. But he didn't. He said, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm, tastes good. Mm. And because of that, we have all kinds of ramifications that have come down to our lives uh, because the first two people didn't value God's word before their own ideas, okay? So make sure you protect her from her own children because there are some children that will be very disrespectful to, to the mom. And dads, I want you to step in and say, son, daughter, you can't do that here. You cannot do that here. I will not tolerate you being disrespectful to your mom. I know, that's gonna be hard, huh? Because sometimes mom's gonna defend them. Mom will defend them at her own peril. No, honey? This is where I put my foot down. I love you too much to let these kids treat you that way. Be her protector. When she has that protection, she can rest in your shade. She can rest in your shade. Notice, we'll conclude here with verses 5 and 6 of chapter (laughs) 2. They finally get married. They finally get there, okay? And here's what she says to him. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am faint with love. Here, everybody shake your head and go, what? What? Okay, raisins. What was important about raisins? Back in the day, uh, when this was written, it was believed to be an aphrodisiac. Okay? Strengthen me with these raisins. Load me up with raisins. Refresh me with apples, because now I am ready to give myself fully, totally, and willfully to you. Do that. Okay? Notice what she says. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. What are they getting ready to do? That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Okay. They're getting ready to consummate their love. They're getting ready to consummate their love because they have done all the other things ahead of time. They've done all the other things. And let's just review. What have they done? Well, number one, they recognized godly character, right? Number two, they built godly trust with each other. Number three, they practiced godly standards. Okay. So, that, and then they grew with godly encouragement. They did those four things that resulted in her feeling special, her feeling secure, and now they're ready to go, ah. And she says, I'm willing to give myself to you because you're my pastor. 
Okay? You're leading me spiritually. You're my provider. You're my protector. Awesome. There's nothing more that we could do. So she gives, him, gives herself to him physically so that they can consummate their love for each other. Now, here's my thought. My thought is that all of this stuff sounds really cool and neat, you know, unless you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Then it just sounds like a bunch of rules and regulations, right? So in order to properly, properly build relationship and to be fully engulfed in a relationship with someone else, let God be the leader of that. Let God be the leader of who you are and the leader of your relationship with the woman or the man of your choosing. Okay? Actually, it's God's choosing. Now, how do you do that? How do you let God be the master of all that? Number one, you recognize this. Okay? And this is what we need to recognize about ourselves. And I recognize it about me. I'm selfish. Okay? How many of you are selfish? Okay? Some of you are liars. Okay? Because we're all basically selfish. We want what we want, right? We want what we want. And I'm that way. I want what I want. But I have to recognize that sometimes what I want is not good for me. If I got what I wanted, what would I eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Thank you. You know me. That's what I would have. I love chocolate cake. I love it when it's warm. You know, so I'd have to have three freshly baked chocolate cakes a day. I, I could eat it all. Okay? Yeah, microwave, no. Okay, so, and, and so therefore, that's what I want. That's what my selfish tendencies say. But I have to say no to that. And I have to say yes to exercise. I have to say yes to a good diet. I have to say yes to things that, you know, they're not primary on my list. So that's what my selfishness causes me to do. And I have to recognize that about me, that I want what I want, and nobody's the boss of me. You know, have you ever said that? You're not the boss of me? You know, and sometimes that's what we say to God. You're not the boss of me. And he'll say, you're right, I'm not. And it can be just like that. I can stay away. You can be the boss of you. But it's going to get you what you get. Okay? And God is a great God. He lets you be in charge of how you want to live. You can live however you want. However, you don't get to pick the consequences. God chooses the consequences. He says, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Because God can see down the road. If you don't follow me, bad things are going to happen. If you do follow me, there's going to be some rough roads. There's going to be some tough times. But you're ultimately going to be doing the right thing. And you're going to have joy because you did the right thing. So therefore, we have to come to a recognition that we are selfish. The Bible calls it sinful, but it's the root of sinfulness is really selfishness. I want what I want. So we have to admit that and say, God, I am selfish. I am selfish. And I want you to forgive me for that. You know what Jesus did to pay for, you know, and talk about the justice of God. God is a just God. There's two things about God. He is loving and he is just. How do we respond to his love? We love him back. We love him back. God, is lo- God loves me. I love him back. How do we respond to his justice? Oh, I'm going to give you something that you don't get at regular church. Okay, It's fear. We respond to God's justice in fear. That's what the fear of God is all about. And you'll find it in the Bible. The Bible says that, the, the, that you ought to fear God. Okay, Why should we fear him? Not because he's mean and angry and nasty or because I'm scared of him. But I am truly afraid of being on the wrong side of what he says is right. Because there's punishment for that. There's consequences for that that I don't want to experience. So therefore, I relate to God in love and I relate to God in fear. 
I have this actual fear of being on the wrong side of God. So that causes me to think about what I'm doing, who I am, and say, okay, I want to get back over here. I want to get on the right path. I don't want to do things the way God says because I fear the consequences of not doing it. I was going to tell you a personal story, but I'm not going to. Oh, everybody wants to know now. So therefore, I have to say to God, I admit, I'm selfish. I'm selfish, you know? And I, I want you to know that I need you to, I want you to forgive me. Well, God sent Jesus to the earth, lived on the earth for 33 years. At the end of it, he died. Why did Jesus die? To satisfy God's justice. Because God says punishment has to come for those people who sin. And God said, oh, but I love you guys so much. I'm going to send my son Jesus. He's going to pay for it. He's going to pay for your justice. He's going to take what you should have taken. Because I love you too much to let you perish without eternity in heaven. So now we're faced with a choice. Jesus dies, and now what do we have to do? We have to receive him. We have to take him in and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life because you paid for me. And I want to be on the right side of this justice thing. Make sense? Okay, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to pray. And if you've never prayed this prayer before, I want you to say to God, God, I'm, I've been selfish in my life. And I've suffered some of those consequences that I really didn't like because of my selfishness. I ask you to forgive me because I haven't followed your ways. I followed my own ways. So forgive me. I now accept Jesus' payment for me. And I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. That's what being a Christian is all about. Father,